All right, everybody, if you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 2. Last week we left off with Hannah leaving her child at their tabernacle. Young, young Samuel to be taught by Eli the priest. And we're going to pick up right where we left off in verse 1 of chapter 2. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for your grace and your mercy. Pray that you would fill this place, that you would teach us and direct us from your word as you're so faithful to do week after week. In Jesus' name, amen. In verse 1, and we're going to read a little bit. It's, this is Hannah's prayer. This is her prayer as she's leaving her son there. It's recorded for all of us, for all of time. It says, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and those who stumbled are girded with strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, and the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren has borne seven, and she who has many children has become feeble. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world, world upon them. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by, this, by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. For heaven will thunder, for heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. I can't talk today, can I? And exalt the horn of his anointed. Now, this is a very, very deep prayer. Like you can tell, this isn't just, Lord, bless this food, bless this grub, or, or Lord, thank you, or Lord, give me strength. This is really deep. And so she's leaving the tabernacle. You can tell she has been putting a lot of thought into this over and over again. Now, this is happening right as we left off in the last chapter. Remember, she got up with Elkanah, her husband, and they worshiped the Lord together before they leave the tabernacle. And this is her prayer. And we should be leaving with an attitude of prayer whenever we come up to seek the Lord and to grow with Him and to learn from Him. But let's po look at a couple little things that I think are really cool. Number one, she says in verse one, I smile at my enemies. Who's she talking about? Who is she talking about? She's talking about her husband's other wife. Remember, she has been provoking her. She has been making fun of her. She has been uh, criticizing her and bullying her. And now she's pretty much saying in, in so many words, I've had my vengeance from God. God has handled this problem. And we can't trifle with family problems. We can't think that certain things are beneath God or beneath us. Notice how completely open she is with the Lord. Why do we hide these things from him? Like Adam and Eve in the garden, we cover things up. We pretend he doesn't know. 
She is completely open here. It doesn't say if it's good or bad what she's saying. It's simply recording her prayer. But in the midst of that, she says she's smiling because of what God has done. Because I rejoice in your salvation. So a completely different topic is what is bringing her joy. Not the fact that she's been proven right. Not the fact that she's rubbing it in her face. No, I'm smiling in the midst of an enemy, an accuser, an attacker, because I know that God's on my side. I know that God is for me. I know that my relationship with God is strong. Therefore, this other issue is not a problem. It's not a problem anymore. It's not like uh, David would write in the Psalms, Lord, help me to smash the teeth out of my enemies. I mean, that's one of my favorite verses, but still, that's not what she's talking about here. And we should be doing the same. Now, the next thing that I want to point out is that she starts to talk about the Lord and his power, how he's in control of all things. But then she also begins to talk about making high and making low, making strong, making weak, making rich, making poor, that the Lord does whatever he pleases, that he brings to the grave and then he brings them up. He can bring people back to life. This depth of philosophy and theology here is really important for us to see because there's so much shallowness, shallow thinking here. Like, oh, did, am, am I happy today? Did the Lord make me happy? Does this uh, Christian radio song make me happy? Our, our relationship and our thinking on a daily level should be deeper because of our relationship with God. Because of the trials we're going through, because of the things that are testing us and are driving us closer to Him, we should be looking deeper into those things. And I constantly want to remind people Believers, if we are in the Word of God, we have the deeper answers to the deeper questions that people are asking. Why are we avoiding them? You know, I'm going to go on a mini rant here, so strap in for a little bit. But if I'm listening to the Christian, uh, the Christian radio shows on the radio, and, I, and I'm listening to what they're talking about, I'm like, this is it. This is like not even the kiddie pool. This is the pond outside of the pool in terms of depth. Like, oh, you know, I had a cup of coffee today and the Lord blessed it that the person in front of me paid for it. I'm like, okay, great. Hannah's leaving the tabernacle where she just left her child and she's going to the depth of the purpose of who God is, what life's about, what humility's about, that the pride of life is not important, that our careers, the things that we take pride in, they come, they go, our lives are fickle. This is what she's praying. And we're like, oh, you know, you should... Tip your waitress and be nice to people. Now, I don't want to demean those actions because there can be depth. My point is, you have the meaning for life, pain, suffering, existence, creation. All these things are here, and we should be exploring those things with God in our daily lives, having a richness and a fullness that other people can't understand because they don't have that connection to their Creator. And all those things are available to us. Now, we're going to talk about contrasts here as we continue. But there is one very, very important thing that we do not want to miss here. And it's in verse 10. At the end of verse 10, as Hannah's praying this prayer, she says, He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. The word Messiah is, means anointed one. 
This is the ref- this is the very first rep- excuse me. I'm gonna try this again in English. This is the very first reference in the Bible to the Messiah, the Anointed One, Jesus, and it comes from Hannah as she's leaving the tabernacle. Now, there's other prophecies about Jesus, the first one being in Genesis. This is the first one to where he is referred to as the anointed one, the Messiah, and he will be the king, and the Lord is going to raise him up. You see, Hannah just left her son in the tabernacle and dedicated him to God. Now, she's going to be visiting him uh, every time she the yearly sacrifices. The Lord... Our Lord God is going to leave his only begotten son when he turns his face away on Calvary to reconcile us. So Hannah's giving her son to the Lord in dedication of life and service. Our Lord gave his son to us to reconcile us and he left him to die in our place. By his stripes we are healed and then we're reconciled. So it's just incredibly beautiful, and I wanted to take some time there to point that out. Now, we have two verses now, and this is going to give us our theme as we go through the rest of this chapter. Then Elkanah went to his house at Ramah, but the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. Now, the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. Now, just two very, very short verses here. Elkanah's the father. He goes home, but the child does what? The child goes in children's ministry until the child is old enough to understand biblical things. That's not what it says. The child is going to be put on timeout until the child grows up and then is smart enough to understand deep theological things. That's not what it says. What does it say? It says the child ministered to the Lord. The child served the Lord before Eli the priest. The child is three to four years old. And his service is known as ministering and serving the Lord. So what our children are doing, whether they're singing worship songs or they're praying or they're coloring, when they pick up trash, when they have to pick up their coloring books and clean up the nursery or they need to clean up, it may not seem deep to us. It may not seem important to us. It may seem like, oh, they're on time out until they can understand the problems that we're going through. That's not how God sees it. That's not what's honoring to the Lord. And we need to be involving them and we need to be listening to them. Now, we, if you're a Bible student, you're immediately comparing to when the apostles are trying to keep the kids away from the Lord. Like, hey, let them do the adult business. And what does the Lord say? No, no, no. In King James Version, suffer not the little children unto me. Like, no, bring the kids to me. Bring them to me. So we're the ones that are saying, no, it's not important. But you better be careful because those are God's kids. They're not yours. Well, yeah, but they can't even stand up straight. I mean, they can't even keep from touching each other. Oh, they can't even stop from talking. Oh, they can't even listen. They can't even color correctly. None of those things are written here. It's not saying that, that Samuel is making the sacrifices at the altar. It doesn't say that he's at the table of incense. He can be doing all kinds of random things. Go get the twigs that are falling from the wood as we bring it to the altar. Go wipe down the basin where we do our ritual washings. Whatever his job was, it was ministering unto the Lord. And you should be able to apply that to yourself. Well, I don't know anything. I don't know how to ask 
I don't know how to talk about God. I don't know how to share. I don't know how to pray. So? So? Remember, our Lord reconciles us to himself, not the other way around. It's not our service. Now, I want you to see the contrast here because this contrast is so important to this chapter. Because what does it say in verse 12? Now, the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. These are the servants. These are the assistant to the high priest. These men are from the tribe of Levi. They are dedicated to God. They have the robes. They have the titles. They are at the altar making sacrifices. They are Judas Iscariots. They don't know God. They don't have a relationship with God. It is crystal clear. They're not hypocrites. They're not uh, backslidden. They are not saved. They are just going through the motions. It's just a fake job for them to get what they want. And they're the ones that are supposed to represent the Lord. Do you see the contrast in verse 11 and verse 12 here? The, the kid, the baby, is ministering to God. The ministers of God are not even saved. They don't even know God. They have no relationship with God. They're ripping everybody off. Incredible. The evilness of the priests the innocence of this child who's just living his life. Let's look at this a little bit more now in verses 13 through 17. It says, And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. Then he would thrust it in on the, on, into the pot, the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. So they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, Give meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you but raw. It's not good, by the way, that they're doing this. Verse 16. And if the man said to him, they should really burn the fat first. Then you may take as much as your heart desires. He would then answer him, no, but you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Therefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Now, this is huge. This is very, very important. We have been traveling in the Bible from Genesis all the way to 1 Samuel on Wednesday nights. We went through Leviticus, we went through Numbers, we went through Deuteronomy, we went through the offerings, we went through the different types of offerings, we went through how they did those offerings, what was offered, why it was offered, how it was offered. We saw how sacred that was and how that showed us uh, a shadow of the Messiah sacrificing himself and reconciling us for sin and for fellowship and for the anointing and for the firstborn. And we saw all those things. And here these guys are supposed to be following those rules and following those laws. And what they're doing instead is they are ripping off the people that are coming to have fellowship with God. Now, I want to remind you in the Old Testament, you're not praying in the car on the way home. Nobody's praying, hey, let's get close to the Lord as we sing in our living room. Nobody's saying to you, oh, we all can have a personal relationship with God no matter what race, what gender, what per, uh, tribe you come from. That does not exist. You come to God through the law, through your works, and you come at a specific day, on a specific time, with a specific offering, and that is your fellowship offering. And in that moment, these men are ripping those people off and are getting in the way. 
That's why it's so evil of them. Now, theologically speaking, that's how they're thinking. But we know because of the revelation of Scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation that even though they were coming to the Lord by works, Hebrews tells us very clearly that they were actually coming by faith, by trusting in the Word of God. So I want to make that contrast, but we're building their perspective. Their perspective is, this is the one moment I get to have fellowship with God. Oh, this priest is ripping me off. Well, there's nothing new under the sun. It's still like that today, some places. You need to be careful. You need to be careful. So what are these guys doing that's so bad? When they're making this offering, the meat goes into a kettle, it's boiled off, and then it is served. Well, they don't want that. They want the fresh meat and they want it with the fat on it. So they're taking a hook and they're going to start taking it. But what people would say like, no, that's against the rules. You can't do that. They would say, not only are you going to do that, if you don't, I'm going to take it from you, whether you like it or not. Take it by force. And they just, what are you going to do? You can't choose your priest. Guys, understand their perspective. You can only do this at the tabernacle. This is the only place with the only people at the only time you can do this. If they want to come to God, this is the only way it's going to happen. Now you can sense the gravity of what's happening here as these guys are doing it. And that's why we understand in verse 17, it says, Therefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Now I told you, this chapter is all about a contrast. So what's the contrast to these evil men ripping off stealing from the people of God that are trying to seek and serve God. Uh, Verses 18 through 22. But Samuel ministered before the Lord even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. Now that must have been cool to watch. Verse 19. Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, The Lord give you descendants from this woman from the lo- for, for the, the loan that was given to the Lord when they would go to their own home. And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. Eli was very old, and he heard everything his sons did in all Israel and how they lay with the, with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Again, contrast on contrast. This is so beautiful to think of Samuel as a very young man wearing a linen ephod. That is the linen, the light service of ministry, and he's ministering to the Lord. Second time it says that, that from a child, he is ministering to the Lord. He's dedicated to God. And his mom's coming every year. It's not like he went down to, she went down to Target and bought this linen robe for him every year and you know how quickly these kids grow so she knows you gotta make it bigger every year she is hand weaving this she loves her son her firstborn son and contrast that to the priest and god knows this god sees what's happening and that doesn't mean that god is not who god is just because we may see corruption in the church just because you may see religion um, the bad, the negative portions of it, or be on TV and you see those things like, why is God allowing those things to happen? No, those people are doing that. The people are doing that, and the people are sinful, all of us, but he has a faithful remnant. He is still working. He is still seeing, and just like that, he visits 
Samuel's mom, Hannah, and she has more children. Remember, all of this change with Hannah happened when she was in the tabernacle praying when the high priest came and said, you're drunk, get the heck out of here. You guys remember that? You get, get, get out of here. But she was so faithful and remember her entire countenance changed without any of the circumstances in her life changing simply because she vented to the Lord. Well, here we are now in chapter two. All the circumstances have changed. But the priests are still evil. How evil are they? They're sleeping with women that are coming to the tabernacle. They're robbing from the offerings. And it says there in verse 22, they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So they're, they're not only are they thieves, they're picking up random ladies at the tabernacle. How, what? What? Now Eli is very old. He sees these things happening. What does he do about it? He kind of wags his finger. He talks to them. You guys shouldn't do this. This is bad. Shouldn't do this. This is bad. You roll the clock back a couple hundred years, they're going to be stoned to death. And other, it had happened to other people. But he doesn't do anything about it. Now, Eli, he's different because he does know the Lord. See, the Bible went out of its way to say that the sons of Eli did not know the Lord. So he's just a broken father who's trying his best and he's teaching Samuel and he's raising Samuel up. What is it we always say like five million times? Because it's always true. Wherever there's people, there are people problems. But the Lord, he stays the same. Virtuous, true, honest, without lie. He cannot sin. He cannot tempt us with sin. He's perfect. And we need to make sure that we are serving the true and the living God, that we have a personal relationship with God, which is something that the people at this time period did not have because they didn't have what Hannah had prayed for, the anointed one, the king who came and made a way for us. We're going to talk about that a little bit more now in verses 23 through 33. We're going to read, yeah, verse 23, picking up. This is what Eli says. So he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil doings from all the people. Know, my sons, for it is not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Underline that bad boy. We're going to talk about that. Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. Oh, you know, that's not good. And the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor, both with the Lord and men. Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering which I have commanded in my dwelling place? And honor your sons more than me. Ouch. To make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people. 
Therefore the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, far be it from me. For those who I honor me, who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming that I will cut off your arm and the arm of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house and you will see an enemy in my dwelling place. Despite all the good which God does for Israel and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. But any of your men whom I do not cut off from my altar shall consume your eyes and grieve your heart and all the descendants of your house shall die in the flower of their age. Dang, what just happened? Well, a prophet came to Eli and is prophesying these things, this judgment against him. And notice the judgment is against him. Also against his sons, his family, they're going to be cut off. And he's being told, what was the ultimate thing? You honored your sons over me. Man, that's harsh. And I can't even imagine, like, what is it like to be that prophet? And the Lord shows himself to that prophet. It doesn't say how. Was it a voice, an intuition? Was it a vision? Was it a dream? We don't know. But his assignment is to walk into the tabernacle and tell the high priest of the nation of Israel that God is going to judge you and your household. Kudos to this guy because he's faithful. He does that. He delivers this message. He's a mailman from heaven. But I asked you to underline something. I I asked you, I said, we were going to look at this when we came back. Because Eli, when he does speak to his sons, he says, don't do this. He says, this report, why are you transgressing against the Lord? Now, he should have done something about it, but he didn't. But he says something profound that should make us question, and it should make us fear. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? The reason this should be terrifying is because every single one of us have sinned against God. Every single one of us. So if you have sinned against God, who is going to intercede for you? You can't fix it. You can't bring a sacrifice. There is no work that you can do to fix this. We're all condemned. But in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, These things I write to you so that you may not sin, And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah, he intercedes for us. Now, what did we learn last Sunday? There's only one thing we will not be forgiven of, and that's not accepting Jesus Christ's salvation. So the only thing we cannot be forgiven of is not accepting Jesus, not accepting the life preserver. If you don't take the cure, you die of the disease. That pretty much sums it up. And so we have an advocate. Now, what did it say in 1 John? This advocate doesn't mean, oh, get out of jail, free card. We can continue to sin as much as we want. It's a freedom to sin no more. It's a freedom for us to sin less. It's a freedom for us to grow. But for these boys and for their father, I want you to guess as we go through 1 Samuel, do you think this is going to happen to them? Do you think that this prophecy is going to be fulfilled and this judgment is going to come upon them? If you're shaking your head yes, you are correct. Spoiler alert, every single thing that this prophet says is going to pass. Again, this chapter is about contrast. So what's the opposite thing that's going up? These men are being condemned with their own actions. These men 
are being prophesied by God, these men are not getting away with what they're going to do. Now, one last thing before we go to the other side. If these men truly did not know the Lord and they die, their punishment is from everlasting to everlasting, just like every one of us. However, at the same time, there is a boy who is growing both in stature with the Lord and with men. You know, when we have our prayer time this evening and we all intercede, it's usually the same few people that are praying every single time. The thing I pray for silently is for our youth to be able to be praying in here, for them to feel that desire to want to pray, for them to not be thinking, well, this is the old people's faith, and for them to have their own relationship with the Lord. My prayer is that the younger people begin to ask us how they can serve around the church. But they're not going to because they're not being asked, they're not being led, they're not being encouraged, and we're treating them as if, you know, one day when you grow up, you will go through hard times and maybe you'll be discipled. Well, young people, you're being invited right now. And I'm telling you right now, you have a personal relationship with God and the things that you are praying and thinking and the things that you're criticizing, or even when you're whispering in the back and you think that nobody's seeing you, he knows. And he has plans for you. And the older people here are like, oh yeah, go get them. Well, you're sitting like 10 feet away from them. When was the last time you said something? Oh, no, no, Mike, that's your job. That's your job. Not how this works. Not how this works. I also want you to see something else for all of us complainers here about how everything's not working and things could be more organized and things could be better. And if we just change these servants or these servants out or those servants out or if we just did this, that, and the other thing, the child Samuel is growing in stature, both in favor and men, in the worst environment possible. The priests are not even saved. The high priest is not even leading. The, the whole place, the prophets are coming in and condemning the priests in their tabernacle, and yet his heart's desire is to serve God. God is anointing him, and that's where he's being raised up. I don't, what environment, is it that bad here? Because what is the common ingredient? It's the Holy Spirit moving in a person and their desire, and that, that nothing has changed there. Now, that this does not mean that we can't get more organized, we can't be better, we can't grow, that we can't be a better organization. No, 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 that's not the point here. The point is on our personal relationship with God. You have no excuses. You, you here sitting have no excuse. I don't care how young you are, how old you are. I don't care where you are in your financial or your health. I don't care where you are in the ministry or not. You have a personal relationship with God through the anointed one. You have no excuses. If Samuel can be used by God at this age, in that environment, we can thrive in this one. That's the point. And that's the contrast between the two that we want to look at. Now let's read verses 34 through 36. The prophecy has been given. Let's see what it says here. Now this shall be a sign to you that will come upon your two sons, on Hophni and Phinehas. And one day they shall die, both of them. Then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall walk before my anointed forever. And it shall come to pass 
that everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread and say, please put me in one of the priestly positions that I may eat a piece of bread. So this has a local prophecy and a future prophecy. Now, these things are going to physically happen. They're going to see these things happen in their own lifetime. But for us, we know there is only one perfect great high priest. Who is that? The anointed one. Every man, every woman will fall short. Every single one of us is not going to meet the test. But he will be perfect. The anointed one, Jesus, our great high priest, our advocate before us with the Father. He goes where we cannot go. He does what we cannot do. And then he takes us with him because he covers us in his righteousness. We should be terrified on the one hand that we are evil, deceitfully wicked our hearts are. Who can know it? We are broken and we are condemned before God. And then on the second portion, by faith alone in Christ alone, he has forgiven us. He has covered us with his righteousness. And so when God sees us, he sees his child, his friend, his family member, his adopted one, all by grace through faith. Amazing. All these things have been working together for our good. And so what do you think? Is the Lord going to do these things? We know because he has done it in our lives. The answer is yes. Chapter 3, Lord willing, will be next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you that you are who you say you are. We thank you that your promises are yes and amen. We thank you, Lord, that you're working in every one of us to will and to do your good pleasure. And we pray that we would grow in grace and in mercy and that you would use us this evening as we pray for one another, interceding for one another, and that there would be spiritual victories this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.